0: The last year has been so mentally exhausting for all of us, right? I mean, stay-at-home orders mean you can't take any risks or try new things. Monotony is the new normal. Do you have plans? Nope, we don't have any plans. You wake up, you go to your desk, you work all day. Yeah, Try to relax, but it's really hard when your home is your new workplace and you can't leave. People are so sick and tired of staying at home. They feel like their lives have gone stale. And it's not hard to see why. That's why I wanted to open this episode with a challenge. I want you to try something new. Look for signs of change in the world. Just look at the sky. Its color shifts throughout the day from bright blue to deep orange to even purple when the stars come out to twinkle. From the life cycle of plants to the ever-turning earth, the natural world is changing all around us and it's so magnificent, isn't it? And we see change in the material world as well. I'm talking about the magic of invention. I mean, here's an example. Check out the tech that you're using to hear me right now. Are you streaming this episode from a smartphone? I mean, phones have changed so much over the past few decades. They used to be so big and clunky. And then when flip phones came out, oh, I loved mine. It was a pink Motorola razor phone. It was the coolest tech ever. A portable phone you could take with you? That was totally unheard of back in the 70s. And that's when Motorola first started working on this tech, Here's a story from Bloomberg. In the late 1960s, uh, I
1: was at Motorola. But at that time, if you wanted a phone, the only way to get it was from AT&T in most places. And they wouldn't even sell it to you. You'd have to rent it from them. And they invented a concept called cellular telephony. They announced that they were going to set people free. They were going to cut the wire. And the second thing that they said is, this service is going to be car telephones. As a vehicle drives from one cell to another, advanced electronic equipment automatically transfers the call by telephone line to another cell without the caller knowing it. That's when I had the idea of, why don't we build a cellular system that's the way it ought to be, that's personal, portable. We shut down engineering in the company and put all our efforts into building
0: a handheld portable cell phone. One of the head honchos at Motorola set up a contest between his team members. He asked, who could make the most interesting cell phone? Well, the team came up with some wild designs. Some were shaped like bananas or matchboxes. Others were flip phones. They worked. Ultimately, they picked a design shaped like a boot, which they named the shoe phone. And in six weeks, Motorola perfected its portable phone. And speaking of phones, let's talk about some of the ways that your smartphone can make your life 10 times easier. I mean, here's an example, a new app called Be My Eyes. It connects people who are visually impaired with folks who can see. The blind person holds up their phone camera, and the person on the other end of the app can give them directions. Like, for example, what bill am I holding? Is it a $1 bill, a $10 bill, or a $100 bill? Here, listen to this from CBS News.
1: 45-year-old Julian Vargas can find his way just about anywhere. He's been blind most of his life and enjoys being independent, but says there are moments when he and others who are visually impaired need help. When we're uh, trying to get some, in- some information or detail that's only available visually, uh we'll joke around and say, God, if I only had a pair of eyes I could borrow right now. <laughs> a new free app for smartphones called Be My Eyes aims to solve that problem. How can I help you today? I'm not as familiar with the aisles here, so I was thinking that maybe uh you could be my eyes. The app uses a phone's camera and microphone to get the blind instantly connected to sighted volunteers like Elvira Medina.
2: If you go a little bit more uh to your left. This one here. That one. You got
1: it. Since the app launched last month, Medina has helped blind users locate medicine, figure out expiration dates, and even shop for their favorite orange juice. That one has no pulp. Okay, that's what I want. Okay,
0: perfect. Now, I hope this little thought experiment gave you some new appreciation for the world around you, especially the tech world. I mean, one of my most favorite parts of my job is seeing the way that tech has changed over the years. There are just so many things in my life that tech has changed all for the better. Like, for example, my son. I can FaceTime him a couple of times a day to make sure he's okay. And sometimes he likes it. Just kidding. He always appreciates my phone calls, and I'm so lucky that he does. Uh, What about with my mom? I can keep track of her medical records online and see what's going on. And even just planning for her to get the vaccine. And boy, I don't know what I would have done without my Peloton over the last year. I'm on that bad boy at least once a day. But of course, not all change is good. Sure, the digital age has done wonders. It's made life so much more convenient. It's given people with disabilities incredible opportunities for independence. Just look at any website and you're gonna see a post about security breaches, privacy violations, and more. We've seen an uptick in car accidents because people just can't seem to get off of their phones and it's distracted driving. There's another negative side effect I don't hear people talk about enough. That's the physical toll that tech takes on our bodies. I'm talking about things like tech neck, hunched backs, and broken brains. Well, that's what we're going to explore today. We're going to talk about all the ways that our dependence on technology impacts our bodies. I mean, we've done a great job of molding our tech through the years, changing it to fit our needs, but you may not know just how much your tech is changing you. I'm talking about your body. And in this podcast, I'm going to give you all the details. You're going to learn how your smartphone hurts your hands, your back, and even your brain. My primary goal is to shed light on something that you probably don't think about. But by the end of this podcast, you're going to learn how to take power back and save your body too. I'm Kim Commando, and this is Tech You Should Know. I want to paint a picture. Imagine that you're just walking down the street 100 years from now. It's a bright, sunny day. You're enjoying your stroll. Then you see a woman approaching you from the opposite direction. She has a large hunched back, and her hands are stiff and claw-like. She also has a thicker skull than any other person you've ever seen. And when you get closer, you see she has a second pair of eyelids. Ugh. All right, let me introduce you to her. Her name is Mindy, and she's a 3D model created by scientists. She represents what people of the future may look like thanks to excessive technology use. Have your hands ever hurt from spending too much time in front of the computer? Have your fingers ever gotten stiff from holding your phone for too long? I'm sure you've at least strained your eyes from staring at a screen for too long. I mean, I know I have. You can even get a condition called tech neck, which we're going to talk about in just a little bit. The bottom line here is Mindy's body has been molded by technology around her. Think of it like evolution. Her hunched back comes from hours sitting in front of a computer monitor and craning her neck to stare at her phone. Her hands are twisted into this permanent claw-like grip. After holding her smartphone for so long, that's what happens. Plus, her elbow is permanently bent to 90 degrees. And what's the deal with the thick skull? Ah, that's to protect the brain from radio frequency waves from a phone. Absolutely wild. This model represents an idea of how we're going to look in the future. It's not factual, thank goodness. But it may represent what our great-great-great-grandchildren might look like. And boy, does the Mindy model paint a grim picture or what?
2: A singular consciousness that spawned an entire race of machines.
0: The 3D model is fascinating, and it's kind of creepy to look at. Now let's look at the facts smartphones have been around for a while now. Of course, you're probably well aware of some of their negative effects. I'm talking about getting addicted to social media, the eye strain, and more. But in their early years, people were pretty resistant to critique. That's what Nicholas Carr found out. He's an American business writer who has studied technology for decades. He's an expert on the way that technology affects our brains. Back in 2008, he wrote a book called, Is Google Making Us Stupid?, Then, in 2011, he was a Pulitzer finalist for his book called The Shallows, What the Internet is Doing to Our Brains. Since then, he's become a well-known authority on the way that tech impacts our cognition. And I'm so happy to welcome you to the podcast, Nick. Now, i got to tell you, it's fascinating to think of the ways that tech impacts our physical body. Just look at the way that the medical world has evolved. Revolutionary devices, techniques are changing people's lives for the better. And it may be easy for people to think we're gaining so much knowledge as we advanced, but it always comes at a cost, right?
1: Well, I think we've made I think we've made a trade off between accessing information and being able to think deeply about information. So we're, we've what tech has done is it it's opened up vast new stores of information in all sorts of
0: forms. You know, that's interesting. Tell me more.
1: What it does is because we're constantly bombarded by information and constantly distracted by both the information and the technology itself, we're losing our ability to concentrate, to to be attentive. In other words, we're, we're spending all our time gathering information and none of our time thinking deeply about the information we've collected. So how
0: do you think this impacts us?
1: So I think there is there is a trade-off. There's a loss of kind of deep, considered, contemplative thinking, um, even as we gain the ability to browse information like never before.
0: I agree. Short attention spans are the, the new normal. It's definitely impacting our culture. Maybe we don't need this big attention span.
1: Well. That's a good question. I mean, I think one thing we see in the history of technology is whenever uh, a new technology comes along that influences the way we think, we tend to begin to think that the ways of thinking that the technology is encouraging are the most important ways of thinking.
0: Okay, expand on those ways of thinking. So
1: we tend to not only lose the ability to think in different ways, but we begin to demean the importance of that, those ways of thinking.
0: You are saying that technology is changing the way that we think. So so on the one hand, I think society is beginning to say what's important is just taking
1: in lots of information and sending out lots of messages. And we're kind of not only losing the ability to be attentive and contemplative, but we're beginning to say that those ways of thinking don't really matter anymore.
0: Now, I'm interested in the physical side of this. I've heard a lot about brain optimization. Just look it up on YouTube, and you will definitely go down this rabbit hole of videos all about improving your brain's function. One video I found promises to help rewire your brain so you can optimize productivity. Others teach you how to improve your brain's neuroplasticity. And here's some fascinating stuff out there. One of my favorites was a TED Talk from neuroscientist Wendy Suzuki, and here's what she found in her research.
2: Exercise actually changes the brain's anatomy, physiology and function let's start with my bra- favorite brain area the hippocampus the hippocampus or exercise actually produces brand new brain cells new brain cells in the hippocampus that actually increase its volume as well as improve your long term memory okay and that that in, including in you and me Number two, the most common finding in um, neuroscience studies looking at the effects of exercise, long-term exercise is improved attention function dependent on your prefrontal cortex. You not only get better focus and attention, but the volume of the hippocampus increases as well. And finally, you not only get immediate effects of mood with exercise, but those last for a long time, so you get long-lasting increases in those good mood neurotransmitters.
0: Those of you who have been listening for a while probably can guess why I like this talk. I do exercise. I love exercising. Every day I try to spend some time on my Peloton or go for a run. Needless to say, this was really, really good news for me. So Nick, I want to get your opinion on the whole idea that we can improve our brains. Now that we're sort of training ourselves to have this short attention span, is brain optimization, is it even possible anymore? So I think that
1: that our brain seeks to optimize itself for whatever ways of thinking and perceiving we're engaged in habitually. So that's always happening. And what I think is happening now is our brain is optimizing itself. And This means, you know, at a biological level for gathering information, being distracted, being able to multitask very,
0: very quickly. Anytime you gain something, you lose something. So what are we losing in return?
1: we're losing, uh, we're sacrificing, as a part of that optimization process, our capacity for deeper kinds of thinking. Because with the brain, what brain scientists have discovered through, through their research on neuroplasticity, the, the brain's ability to adapt, is that those ways of thinking that we practice a lot get stronger, but on the other hand, those ways of thinking that we don't practice uh, get weaker.
0: Dive into some specifics here. What type of skills are we truly losing?
1: Yes. So I think the kinds of thinking that happen when you when you screen yourself away from distractions um, and really concentrate on something. And so I think it's uh, critical thinking, contextual thinking, the ability to put new information into a broader context, contemplative thinking, introspective thinking, kind of all the all the all the types of thinking that require a kind of calm focused mind i think those because we're not the technology discourages us from engaging in those types of thinking so we don't practice them as much and as a result we just either don't build those skills those mental skills or we begin to lose them because we're not practicing them
0: this really puts our daily habits into perspective doesn't it every time you absent-mindedly scroll on your phone you're actually working in a way, kind of almost, you might not think that you are, and maybe you're letting off some steam by searching for funny memes, but really, you're training your brain to hunt for shiny things that catch your eye. And when you do this kind of thing over and over and over again, it really rewires your brain. We're going to talk next about the physical impact on the brain. How is your scrolling affecting your brain matter? How does your brain look compared to someone from a culture without access to technology, to tablets and smartphones and the internet? Coming up, you're going to learn even more about the wild ways that our technology is changing us. Stick around. You won't believe some of the stuff that we're talking about here on Tech You Should Know. I'm Kim Commando. Hey, welcome back to Tech You Should Know. Today, we're hanging out with Nick Carr. He's a tech writer who focuses on the impact technology has on our minds. So, Nick, we've talked a lot about the ways our 24-7 access to the Internet affects the way that we think. But i got to ask you, are we seeing any physical impacts on the brain?
1: The evidence there is mainly circumstantial. Um, in other words, we know from lots of experiments on primates and other animals that, are, that brains adapt to their environment. So they optimize for whatever ways of thinking their environment is encouraged. Right. With human beings, it becomes very, very difficult to examine those changes because of the ethics of putting <laughs> of putting probes into human brains and stuff. So the I would say there the, you know, at the physical level, the the evidence is mainly circumstantial due to the ethics of, of brain experiments on, on human beings.
0: Right, I get that.
1: And also because of our lack of understanding of exactly how our brains work, we don't it would be impossible from looking at, for instance, a brain scan to know whether a person is thinking deeply or thinking superficially. So so brain scans themselves are of limited, you know, limited use here. There have been some studies that show that the more time people spend online, the patterns of which areas of their brains are activating uh, as they go online changes. So that again is kind of circumstantial evidence that our brains adapt to the technology. But I, but you know, as I say, the evidence—it's it, very hard to get deep physical evidence of
0: these kind of changes. It makes a lot of sense, and it's a great point. I can't help but wonder: Are these moral quandaries only in America? Because if we could compare the brain of a frequent smartphone user to the brain of someone who never ever accesses the internet, what differences would we really see? Yeah, I haven't
1: seen research done, comparison research done like that. Um, the research has tended the research into how the how the technology is influencing our ability to think, our ability to solve problems, our ability to concentrate. That's, all that research, as far as I've been able to tell, has been done in, in countries where there's a, a lot of online activity. So, so lots of computers, the internet is heavily used, phones are, 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 smartphones are heavily used.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, you're not going to research smartphones when you don't even use them.
1: These days, it would be harder and harder to find areas of the world where there isn't that. Kind of intense use of technology because throughout the world, the smartphones and other kind of computer technologies have become very, very common. So there's, there is a lot of evidence from particularly over the, the research that's been done over the last 10 years by cognitive psychologists, other brain scientists, that the more you use your smartphone, the more you, time you spend online, the less strong your memory is, the less strong your problem-solving abilities are, and the less, less ability do you, you have to tune out distractions and think deeply.
0: When you and I talk about the way that tech is having a huge impact on the way that we think and pay attention to the world around us, I can't help but wonder about the long-term impacts. Could our over-dependence, Nick, Possibly lead to an early onset of dementia or maybe even possibly Alzheimer's?
1: Well, there is evidence that as you become more distracted, you tend to form weaker memories because memory is really tightly tied to attentiveness. The more you attend to new information, uh, the more fully you tend to remember it. Um, So there is evidence that our memory is weakening, both because we're constantly distracted and because we We begin to think remembering things isn't all that important because you can Google it or, or, you know, grab it from Alexa or whatever very, very quickly.
0: But there's a downside to that. There
1: is fears among, you know, uh, neuroscientists who study memory that this this could well lead to memory problems later in life. But I I think at, at this point, that's still hypothetical. I don't think anybody has has proven a connection there. So I, I'd be careful about, you know, claiming too much. But there there does seem to be, from what we know about how memory works, if you don't exercise it as much, then uh, there is some evidence that later in life you you might open yourself up to problems of memory and cognitive decline.
0: I hope that as you're listening, you make a note of that. There is no conclusive evidence out there, but the fact that some neuroscientists are nervous is enough to give me pause. And while we're on this topic, there's another big topic that I want to touch upon, social media. I've heard a lot about the different ways that social media is changing our brain. A study from scientific report has found that social media addiction can literally change your brain, rewire it. Researchers found that tech addiction can impact the amount of gray matter in our brains. That means social media addiction has a similar effect on your friend as gambling or even a drug addiction. Do any of you remember that old commercial with a man frying an egg? You remember that? Here, let me play it for you. Maybe it'll ring a bell.
1: Is there anyone out there who still isn't clear about what doing drugs does? Okay, last time. This is your brain,
2: this is drugs.
1: This is your brain
0: on drugs. Any questions? I wonder if we're ever going to see a related commercial for social media. Maybe a beehive with a solemn person staring at the camera saying, this is your brain on social media. Okay, I kid, but it's a serious issue. Let's pivot away, though, right now from the physical impacts of excessive social media use. I know you may be thinking, no, don't worry about it, Kim. I use it in moderation. So how does this impact me? What does it have to do with me? Even if you only scroll through your feeds for an hour a day, social media is still impacting your mind. There's a lot of research that shows that social platforms like Facebook, Twitter, YouTube can change the way that we think. Have you ever heard of the term social media echo chamber? Yeah, that's exactly what you think. So, Nick, what is your take? Is social media changing the way that we think? Yeah, I think
1: the evidence and also (laughs) our experience kind of points in that direction. And this is an example of where the effects of technology are almost exactly the opposite of what we expected. Um, And I think you can see this in two places. One, everybody thought, oh, the Internet will open up all these new stores of information so people will become more knowledgeable, more broad-minded. We haven't seen that.
0: No, we haven't. And
1: why is that? Because the constant state of distractions actually undermines our thinking. And the same thing, I, I think, is true. A similar phenomenon is appearing in the question of, of insularity and the question of our ability to appreciate other people's points of view that are different from ours. What happens is that people, when, when they have this unlimited amount of information available to them, most people tend to to go and gather the information that reinforces their existing points of view, reinforces their existing biases. And as you gather more information that reinforces those biases, the biases become even stronger. And so I think that's one of the reasons, probably not the only reason, but one of the reasons we're seeing more polar, polarization of the public in terms of politics and lots of other views on issues. Rather than what we expected, which is that everybody would go out and sample lots of different points of view and learn to appreciate other people's views. We, unfortunately, we're not seeing that.
0: Definitely. What social media does is show you only the things that you're most interested in. There's no news division at Facebook. I just found that so crazy to learn recently that 60% of people on Facebook thought that Facebook had a news division that was putting everything out on the site. No. Facebook shows you, and other sites do the same thing, things that they know that you want to see. That's how they manipulate our brains. Now, so far, we've been talking mainly about smartphones. But tell me, why are smartphones worse than, say, other tech? And why are they having this bigger impact on our minds?
1: Well, I think there's a few reasons. And in some ways, we saw all of these effects with with laptops and even desktops, but they they become much more exaggerated, much more magnified with with smartphones. And and the primary reason, I think, is that we carry our, our smartphone with us all day long.
0: And because the smartphone's portable, we take it with us every single place we go.
1: You know, the evidence shows that most people, you know, sleep with a smartphone right next to them. The first thing they do when they wake up is look at it, usually because the the smartphone is their
0: alarm clock. And the
1: last thing they do before going to bed is, again, look at their phone. And people are, are kind of using their phone throughout the day.
0: Yeah, I'm guilty. I get up, I tell Barry I love him, and then I pull my phone up and I see what the weather's going to be like. And I even check my email and text messages. Ugh.
1: So even people who carried laptops around with them quite a bit, just the, you had to sit down somewhere, you had to open your laptop, you had to connect to the Internet. So it's very different. The smartphone allows us to be, in effect, constantly connected.
0: So what does the research say all about this? What the research shows
1: is that these days, most people, because their smartphone is with them all the time, either they're using their phone, they're thinking about using their phone, or they're suppressing the desire to think about using their phone. And all of those are a drain on our mental capacity and a
0: a drain on our attention. I can't help but wonder how brain chips could fit into this. Yes, technology that we've all read about in our science fiction novels in high school, and we've seen in Hollywood. Well, it's here. Coming up, we're going to talk about the current tech today's biggest thinkers are coming up with. Nick and I are going to explore the ways that you're thinking may be further manipulated in the future. We're also going to be talking about technik. So stick around; you don't want to miss this on Tech You Should Know. I'm Kim Commando. All right, I threw you a curveball. You may have thought to yourself, brain chips? What is Kim Commando thinking? Well, really, you should be asking, what the heck is Elon Musk thinking? Yeah, he's the one behind it. His company, Neuralink, wants to create what he calls, quote, a Fitbit in your skull with tiny wires. Okay, well, last year, he unveiled the link, a brain-computer interface you could implant directly into your body, into your brain. In a lot of ways, it's kind of like a Fitbit in your skull with tiny wires.
1: Neuralink wants to connect our brains to computers and now it's showed off a
2: device reading a pig's brain signals in real time.
0: Elon Musk even had a live demonstration of the device reading a pig's brain signals in real time. Basically the brain chip connects with the neurons in your noggin to receive electrical signals. Listen to this clip from CNET.
2: Elon Musk did a demo and brought out three live pigs, one without a brain implant, one who'd had a link implanted and then had it removed without any issues, and a third pig named Gertrude that had had a chip in for two months. We got to see a live reading of the neurons in the pig's brain firing in real time, specifically the neurons that were sending and receiving messages from her snout.
1: Um, So what you're, the the beeps you're hearing are real time signals from the neural link in Gertrude's head. So this neural link connects to neurons that are uh, in her snout, so whenever she snuffles around and touches something with her snout, uh, that sends out uh, neural spikes, which are detected
0: here. Now, ultimately, Elon Musk wants this brain chip to be the same cost as laser eye surgery. You may be thinking to yourself, this sounds absolutely bizarre. Who would want a brain chip? Well, that's because they have incredible medical potential. For example, say someone with a spinal cord injury has a brain chip. That tech could potentially restore their basic ability to feel. Ah, wow, wouldn't that be something? Now, we know this tech is a possibility, and it could physically change our bodies. Though it would be in the form of a teensy tiny little chip. Nick, let's take a look at that far-flung future. Let's imagine brain chips are common. Everyone has them. You use these brain chips to connect to the internet straight from your noggin. I imagine this type of tech would just exasperate our short attention spans, right?
1: I'm dubious that that's going to happen, (laughs) at least in the foreseeable future. If it did happen, yes, I think so. Because what we know from the technology companies who developed this, the Googles and Facebooks and Twitters of the world, is that not only is that philosophically, I don't think they really appreciate or desire deep thinking, thinking that requires you to step away from the flow of information. And also their their profits are tied to providing, you know, a constant flow of information.
0: Yeah, I can see that. So
1: if that happens, that we, we our brains are directly connected to the internet in some fashion, then yeah, I think it would become the path we're on. We'd go much further down that path and would be uh, continuously, literally continuously bombarded by information. Again, I'm dubious that we, we are at the level scientifically or that, that that's, going to be possible at any, in the foreseeable future it might not ever be possible but yeah it would I think it would make things worse.
0: Well let's hope Elon Musk doesn't think to add internet to the brain chips. Personally, I am so fascinated by medical possibilities. It's super incredible when you think about the ways that simple electric signals can revive paralyzed parts of our bodies. And I want to share this clip I found on Soul Pancake, a YouTube channel. After a young mariachi singer survived cancer, her treatments left her vocal cords paralyzed. She thought she could never ever sing again. Then she went to a new doctor, and this happened. I had a second surgery a few weeks later, and this time he put a device down my throat during the surgery that sent these like electrical impulses to my vocal cords that would prevent them from becoming paralyzed, which is something that probably should have been done the first time. The next surgery went really great. I woke up and my vocal cord was not paralyzed. So that was a really good thing. Wow. Technology has the ability to change our lives for the better. And when you hear stories like this, it's easy to be overwhelmed by optimism. Tech can certainly change us for the better. New inventions can even improve our bodies. But you can't say the same for your smartphone. In fact, we're even seeing young people get premature wrinkles due to tech neck. That's right. Younger people are starting to get creases all across their necks. And here's a scoop from KPRC News. Necklines. We're not just talking about necklines from aging, but younger and younger people are Complaining about creases across their necks.
2: Yeah, what exactly causes them and what's the best way to treat them? Chino 2, Sophia Ojeda, joining us now with more on treating those pesky lines. So tell us about this. Good morning, guys. Yeah, doctors say that younger people are trying to get rid of those necklines. They say young people are getting lines earlier because of what's called tech neck, looking down at your devices all the time. But don't worry, there are treatments and prevention for those unwanted necklines.
1: If you don't crease a piece of paper, it won't have a crease in it. So same thing with your neck.
2: Houston plastic surgeon Dr. Forrest Roth says necklines are multifaceted. Sometimes they're genetic. Sometimes they're from weight gain. And some people can get necklines from tech neck, looking down at their phones, looking down at devices for long periods of time.
0: All right, so the next time you're up close to any teens or young kids in your family, check to see if you can see those lines in their necks. Hmm, They may be there. So here's the gist. Long story short, our smartphones aren't really improving our bodies. They're causing new problems. They could even twist us into little mindies hunched back with claw-shaped hands and a second set of eyelids. According to some thinkers anyway. I'm glad our future isn't drawn in permanent marker and I'm hoping that this podcast will help you see your tech use in a new perspective. I know how much happiness your phone brings you. With social media, you stay in constant touch with your family and friends. But the physical effects, the way your phone is impacting your cognitive abilities, it's so easy to brush the issue under the rug, isn't it, Nick? You know,
1: I th- i think people are not as naive as they used to be. How so? I think five years ago, certainly 10 years ago, we were still very much enamored of our phones and of social media and of Silicon Valley. I think we've become more aware of the problems that the technology is causing. You know, whether it's that we, we're kind of displaying addictive or at least compulsive behavior with the technology, that it's intruding on society and politics. So I think I think people are not as naive as they as they used to be. But even even as we become more aware of the problems, personal and societal. That the technology is causing it's become so habitual for us and it's become so necessary in many in many aspects of our lives to be constantly connected That breaking those kind of habits even if we know that the, it causes problems breaking those habits for most people is something that they just can't do we're more aware of the problems but i don't think we've really changed our behavior as a result
0: so what if somebody's sitting there right now and they say you know what i think i have technic I have eye strain and my tension span is shot. What advice would you give them?
1: Well, I think the most important one at a personal level, and it also happens to be probably the hardest one, is to break the habit of carrying your smartphone with you all the time.
0: Yeah, I agree.
1: You know, we, we've we just kind of accepted this without thinking about it as the norm, that, you, that you're going to be interacting with your phone from the moment you wake up to the moment, go to bed, uh, and you're going to carry it with you. It's going to be in your hand or in your pocket or in your purse or whatever.
0: It doesn't have to be that way. You can choose to do things differently one day at a time. Just take it slow.
1: And we know from the research that the fact that it's just with us all the time amplifies its hold on our minds. So if you can break that habit, if you can do, if you can... Go out and do things during the course of a day without your phone with you whether it's you know going out for a meal taking a walk you know having a conversation with somebody going to a concert or whatever there are actually many things we do in our daily lives that that would be more enjoyable without the distractions the phones phone causes
0: people just fall into the habit of bringing it everywhere
1: And you can break that habit of of taking the phone with you all the time, unless you suspect you'll have a particular need for it. I think that's the most important thing you can do because that, that returns to us some, some mental balance. It, it, you know, it, it reduces the pull of the technology on our mind and gives us more opportunities to think deeply and contemplatively and introspectively or whatever.
0: That's step number one, put the phone down so it doesn't distract you. And the second step
1: Another thing would be to to decrease the role that social media plays in your life, and again, this is difficult for many people because social media in particular has a has a huge pull on us because not only is it constantly notifying us of new information, but the information tends to involve our social status in some way you know is, is somebody did somebody like a picture on Instagram or did somebody respond to a post I made? those things have influence our sense of social status. And that is something people are really, really interested in.
0: Yeah, we're social animals. Our phones represent our entire circle. So of course, we'd be drawn to it back again and again and again. We want to say, hey, what are our friends up to?
1: Deleting some of your social media apps on your phone, or at least turning off notifications for all your social media. So you're choosing when to look at, you know, a particular information feed rather than the, the social media platform itself telling you to look at it. So so that would be a, a second kind of way to deal with some of, some of this.
0: Sounds good, Nick. Thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. You're amazing. And now I want to thank you, the listener, for checking out this podcast. What do you think? Are you going to take some of Nick's advice and try to separate yourself from your screen, even just a little tiny bit? But if you have to have screen time, do it over at the Commando Community. That's where you can get my three-hour radio show podcast, the Q&A forum, blogs, and a whole bunch more. Plus, no tracking, right? Not like big tech. And no advertising. You can sign up right now and try for free for 30 days over at GetKim.com. And I want to give a big shout out to my friend and co-worker and team member, Mike James, the man behind the scenes who keeps things running. And thanks to Serena O'Sullivan, too, for all of her work scripting and editing. Now, I don't know about you, but I have a lot to think about. I'm going to step away from the mic now. Maybe I'll do some yoga. Maybe I'll go outside, go for a walk. I love doing things that are outside in nature. And I think you should do that, too. And if you like this podcast, well, give it a great five-star rating wherever you do get your podcasts and say a few nice words because that helps more people find our podcast. And thanks again for listening. I'm Kim Commando, logging off.